It's from uh, 2 Samuel 7, verse 1 to 7. We're we're thinking about God's covenant with David this evening. And we're going to um, start with what God says to him, first of all. So after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord's with you. And that night... The word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, Did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So this is more of what God was saying to David. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on the, of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them, anymore as they did at the beginning and and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. When David went in and sat before the Lord, he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what? Is my family that you brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? 
For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There's no God but you. And we've heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You've established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer, O sovereign Lord. You are God. Your words are trustworthy. You have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. David's covenant with God. Well, I have to start by saying, as, um, as a child, I was always a really big fan of David. I don't know about you. Um, I used to love reading the stories of his adventures. It's really exciting. And um, it seemed to me all such swashbuckling stuff. I mean, uh, I was brought up on films, Saturday matinees, from the sort of 30s, 40s and 50s, with Errol Flynn and uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And quite frankly, David was kind of like one of them as far as I was concerned. Do you know what I mean? Because it was just so exciting. And, and uh, I, he was genuinely a bit of a hero of mine. I like a guy who can overcome the odds. And he certainly seemed that. He was the youngest son of an eight-son-filled family. And uh, he defeated the oversized enemy's champion of Goliath, invited to join King Saul's court before becoming a fugitive on the run from a jealous king. Until finally rising to become king of Israel himself. The trajectory of this guy's career was certainly on the up. He'd brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem amidst much rejoicing, and God's presence symbolically manifest in this most holy of objects. And here it was in Jerusalem with Israel's king. Faith and state united together. Behind all these events was David's driving attachment to his relationship with God. With David, God was doing a new and exciting thing. As we know, God had made covenants in the past with Abraham and with Moses so that the people of Israel, of which David obviously was a part, enjoyed a shared national inheritance. All of Israel, David included, knew that God was their God. 
He would give them a land, descendants, and they would be a blessing to all nations on the condition that they, the people, remained faithful and upheld God's law gifted to them. It was a conditional uh, covenant where both sides agreed to contribute. Both sides were bound to one another in a loving commitment. In chapter seven of, uh, sorry, yeah, chapter seven of two Samuel that was read to us earlier, God does a new thing. The past covenants were made when the people were in very different sort of place. Abraham was promised descendants that numbered the stars when he was already very old and had none. The people of Israel, led by Moses, were promised a land flowing with milk and honey, and yet they were in the desert. It all seems so unlikely. And yet, as we've heard in the recent sermons, God remained faithful and true to his promise, even when the people were not. So what about the the nature of this Davidic covenant? Firstly, it was a new relationship forged. Verse 9 reads, I have been with you wherever you have gone. So, from the time of being a young shepherd boy, through time on the run, hiding in caves, to the palace, God has been with David and promised to continue to be with him. Not just him, but also with his son. Verse 16 summarises it with, Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. By including the word house, God is making clear this is a promise of a dynasty in the lineage of David. Unlike with Saul, his son will inherit the throne, but more than this, his line will continue on. And what the son would go on to do, my goodness, God Uh, promises David that his son would be the one to build the house for God. Indeed, it was Solomon that would go on to build the most magnificent temple. It reads, not only your house, but your kingdom shall endure. God makes clear the people in future generations will be governed by a king. And the authority of this rule will be unquestioned so that the throne is established, not just secure, but everlasting. The very nature of this promise is that it is eternal and to be unconditional. I had to read it several times to be absolutely sure about that because all before, it's all about the two parties coming together, being bound together, both contributing. But I read it through read it through again, because I wanted to be absolutely sure. I was nervous about saying this, if I'm honest. But this was an unconditional covenant. Nowhere in 2 Samuel 7 does God require anything of David. No conditions of obedience are placed upon its fulfilment. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to just do this a sec. 2 Samuel 7. Have a flick through. Have a flick through. If you've got the same as me, it's page 310. It's, it's, 
The onus is all on God. I will make your name great. I will provide a place. I will raise up your offspring. I will establish his king. I will establish the throne. I will punish him with the rod of men. It's all about God doing it all. The onus is on him. The surety of the promise rests on God's faithfulness. Not on David, nor on Israel's obedience, which quite frankly, as we know, is just as well. Because it doesn't go very well after that. Verses 18 to 29 records, as Zanita made clear, David's response to this incredible promise from God. It's initially, verses 18 to 21, one of humility. Who am I that you have brought me this far? I'm amazed you've brought me this far. (laughs) You've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man? David really can't quite believe it. I love that phrase. Is this your usual way of dealing with man? It's as though he's some rookie, some sort of new kid on the block at the palace. And it's like, is, this your, is, it, is it normally like this? Is this how you do it? Is this how it normally goes? Because this is what I was expecting. Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, God, of course, had walked closely with individuals before. He is, after all, the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, the God that revealed himself to Moses. God is one of revelation, but this was different. God was doing something quite new here, forging a new relationship that would last across the generations. In his humility, David recognises the unconditional nature of this new covenant and is almost lost for words for God's generosity. His second response is praise. He recalls what God has done for the people already by rescuing them from slavery in Egypt and establishing Israel in their land as the people of God. And then comes a plea for God to keep his promise. Not for his sake, that humility again, but for God's. Why? so that God may be praised. At this stage of the game, David really does seem the right guy from whom an eternal line of kings should come. He deflects all the glory and accolades he's receiving from the people and all the blessing he receives from God back to God. It's all for him. What a lesson for us all. We who have so much being blessed by God in so many ways. Maybe even given praise for our work by colleagues or peers to direct people to its true source. See what God has done. So with this new relationship forged, the king of Israel is now linked to the covenant relationship between God and his people established at Mount Sinai. And the next three chapters in 2 Samuel all all goes wonderfully well. David's army is winning victory after victory so that Israel's borders are extended. So we read in verse 19 of chapter 10, 
when all the kings who were vassals of Hadadazar saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. David really seems to have gained that land promised to Abraham. But then, after this new relationship is forged, God's newest son flounders. Chapter 11 sees it all start to go terribly wrong. We can read the familiar account of when David observes Bathsheba and becomes embroiled in a sordid plotline East Enders writers would be proud of. There are so many diff-diff moments in this story, it's ridiculous. So many points when David could have made a godly choice, but instead seeks his own desires. He takes Bathsheba, a woman married to one of the officers in his army, gets her pregnant, and when he's unsuccessful at covering up his behaviour, compounds it by effectively having the husband murdered via battle manoeuvres. It's a mess. But David thinks he's got away with it. The prophet Nathan makes it clear he has not. Through a parable, David realises his grave mistakes and how far from God's ways his choices have been. We read in his own words of Psalm 51, David's brokenness. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. These are the words of a man on his knees, broken and lost. What would happen to the covenant now? David was like a son to God and like any child who should be punished for wrongdoing. So God would punish David. The child David and Bathsheba conceived died and thereafter David would have problems with factions and rivalries vying for the throne. But what about the covenant Did God walk away? Did God leave David on his knees? No. The covenant he had made was unconditional, not dependent on David's behaviour. Yes, David would suffer consequences for his sin, but the covenant remained intact because it was made by God with the onus on him to fulfil it. How blessed are we that God doesn't leave us on our knees, broken and alone, and that time after time he meets us and sustains us when we have let him down. How little we deserve, how much God gives. Still the promise remained true. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me, Your throne shall be established forever. The following centuries, however, were not great for Israel. They became a divided nation 
and struggled to remain faithful to Sinai Covenant. The Ten Commandments took a serious bashing by the people of Israel, so much so that the northern kingdom was conquered and Judah was ultimately exiled. Where was God's covenant with David now? The relationship had been forged and then David, along with the people, had floundered. A new hope had to be found. The godly of Israel, the prophets amongst them, still had a hope. They held on to God's promise. The throne would be established forever. A son of David must be coming to fulfil the conditions of the covenant. The surety of the covenant with David lies ultimately in the fact that God himself came as king. King of Israel after king of Israel let God down. Few walked with him and the people of Israel just seemed to drift further and further away. A different sort of king was needed if the people were ever to be in relationship with him again. Enter Jesus. One born of David's line. Born in David's town of Bethlehem. One born to be king. Emmanuel, God with us. One of Christ's great themes in his teaching ministry was the kingdom. Over and over, Jesus taught those that would hear of what the kingdom truly was, and it was certainly more than David could ever have imagined when God first made that covenant with him. In Acts 15, we read of the early church at the Council of Jerusalem, wondering what to do with the non-Jews, those Gentiles who had accepted Jesus as their Lord and King. It's Peter that stands up and clarifies things. He quotes from one of those prophets, Amos, one of those prophets that had held on to that hope that might be found. He quotes Amos, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. Thanks to God's grace, the remnant believed from the people of Israel, a small portion, a remnant, sought God in Christ. If we, the Gentiles, accept Jesus as our king, we have inscribed on our hearts his name. We wear his livery We are a part of his eternal kingdom. When God forged that new relationship with David, David was blown away by God's generosity. When David floundered, he was amazed again at God's grace. The promise remained. The early church was able to submit to the new hope found in Christ Jesus, the Messiah long awaited On his deathbed, David's advice to Solomon, his heir, found in 1 Kings 2, was simply to walk in God's ways. He had learnt the hard way what happens when you do not, but also found how God remained faithful, remained true to his promise. The challenge to us is to also submit to the son of David and to walk in his ways, We too can be blown away by God's generous invitation 
to be a part of his kingdom. God offers us, like David, a chance for each one of us to get off our penitent knees and stand as a member of God's kingdom, holding on to his firm promise. We can be a part of what God offered to David. I close with the words of Psalm 55, verse 3. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. If you have yet to accept God's invitation, can I urge you to do so? He loves you. If you have but now find yourself, as David once did, downcast in a dark place far from him, Look up. He loves you. And if nothing else, like David, in humility, give God praise for his faithful promise given to you because he loves you. Amen.